Good morning. Happy New Year. It's 2020. Anytime you start a new year, and especially a new decade, everybody is thinking big things. Uh, like, I, I bet that you've not heard anybody in the last few days say, in 2020, I'm, I'm looking to lose just a, you know, pound or two. It's something more dramatic than that. No one ever says, you know, I eat fast food three times a week in uh, 2020. I'm going to just take that down to two times a week. It's, uh, it's I've been eating McDonald's and I'm going to be vegan. Like, it's, you gotta, it's big changes or it's not real change. I, th- I think that's the pressure that we feel. Even we feel that spiritually, you know. Not read my Bible at all in 2019. I'm going to read my Bible 30 minutes a day, every day, 365 days between now and and. The, the next year. It's, it's got to be big changes or there's not change at all. And what I've been thinking about as we turn the corner into 2020 is, is small things instead of big things. Um, because I think when we look at the scripture, we see small things done in the power of the spirit end up being the big things. Um, like Moses, it was a small thing for him to turn aside and see the bush that was burning but not consumed. It was a small thing, not a grand thing for Ruth to say to her mother-in-law after her husband had passed away, I'm going to stay with you instead of going back to my own people. It was a small thing for Rahab to welcome the spies from Israel. And yet those two women specifically, their small things ended up being big things because they were some of the mothers in the line that eventually gave birth to Jesus. It's a small thing for those uh, fishermen to lay down their nets. You're going to set a bunch of things down today. It, It was a small thing for the woman who had the issue with blood for many years to just reach out and grab the hem of Jesus' garment. It was a small thing for the women to come and prepare Jesus' body for permanent burial Easter morning. Good news for them and for us, he was not in there. And so I'm praying that 2020 and this next 10 years is actually a a year and maybe even a decade of small things. Small things done in step with the Spirit that can end up being the size that God would determine them to be. One of those small things for me and and maybe for you is that um, it's a small thing I think that will totally transform our life. And, And you remember from the Christmas Eve, I think we all should put ourselves before God this year to say, I need my life transformed and totally changed. None of us have arrived at a a place with God that we just need minor adjustments and a few tweaks, real life transformation kind of stuff that if we want our lives to change like that, or even if we know that we should want our lives to change like that, I think the key will be follow through. Uh, About 10 years ago, my in-laws gave me for my birthday some golf lessons. Uh, I think that was my father-in-law's hint. Like, if we're going to play golf together, you got to get better. <laughs> and, and so at a local pro shop here in town, uh, had a phenomenal experience. My coach instructor, uh, she was on the LPGA tour for a while, and she was a fantastic coach. And the first thing that we did, I introduced myself to her. It's kind of a vulnerable thing for those of you who play golf to, to meet a, a professional and they say, hey, go to the driving range. I'm just going to stay here and watch you take a few swings. And, and that's what she did. And so I hit a few balls and they went all over the place. And so she came 
next to me and she said, okay, here's what we're going to concentrate on on the few lessons that uh, we have together. You need a lot of lessons, but only a few lessons have been paid. <laughs> As we're going to concentrate on your follow-through, which didn't make a lot of sense to me because your follow-through is after you've hit the ball. Like, what does it matter? Once the ball is hit, what happens after that? Maybe something in your backswing or the way the club face hits the ball. But she wanted to focus on the follow-through. And so I kind of questioned her about it. That doesn't make a lot of sense. And she said, no, it's the follow-through that determines whether the ball goes to the left or to the right or down the middle. And, and that's a small thing that I want to be concentrating on myself this year is that this would be a year of follow-through because it is in the doing of these things that we're blessed. James chapter 1 verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, and here's what we're all hoping for in 2020, they will be blessed in what they do. You want the blessing from God? It comes in the follow-through, not in the intention or the desire. I, I, I want these things that God has said to, to come to pass. I intend to do them. That's not enough. It's the follow-through that will really transform our lives and I've been thinking about two specific things to follow through. And then you can see Matthew chapter 22 and chapter 28 on the screen if you want to follow along with me and go ahead and turn there. Matthew chapter 22 and Matthew chapter Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. And one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And then two pages to the right, Matthew chapter 28. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age." I bet these two instructions, uh, both titled great in our religious culture, the great commission, Matthew chapter 28, and the great commandment, Matthew chapter 22, have been some things that we have intended to do along the way. We have intended, desired to love God with all of our mind and heart and soul and to love our neighbor as ourselves. I think all of us would agree with that. Those are things that are good and that we should be doing. I bet for you, like me, follow through has been the problem. 
I bet all of us have intended to make disciples of all nations and helping people be baptized and learning to obey Jesus. These are things that we have intended to do, wanted to have happen, but you, like me, follow through has been the issue. A couple of months ago, I guess in the middle of the summer, I was praying and I don't remember what I was praying for, but it just seems as, as loudly as God has ever spoken to me, not a, necessarily a, a, a verbal kind of thing, although I would enjoy that very much. Um, as I was praying, I, I felt like God said two words to me, neighbors and nations. And so the way that I work is that could be God or it could be me or indigestion or it could be a number of things. And so I just wrote it down in my little notebook and Next week I came back and looked at it and, and there was still that energy, that life in those two words. And, and I immediately thought of these scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself and make disciples of all nations. And these are two things that I would love for us to have some follow through on this year. We've always had intention, but this year to be a year of follow through. As I mentioned, these are known as the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. And I would love for us to transition from the Great Commandment and the Great Commission to our Great Commandment and our Great Commission. If it's just the, it's just out there on the table and you hope somebody will pick it up. But corporately as a church, we would wake up to our responsibility. No, these are instructions for us. These are our commandments from God and this is our commission from the Lord Jesus Christ. And then maybe even one step uh, more personal. My great commandment and my great commission. That yes, God has given us these things corporately together as a church family, but he's also given them to us individually. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus has gone up to the hill Outside of Jerusalem, he's told his disciples to meet there. He has been resurrected from the dead. And for the last 40 days, he's been appearing to many witnesses. Because from this hill, they're going to go and share the news that Jesus of Nazareth was crucified for the sins of the world and has been resurrected from the dead three days later. And you can imagine how people are going to respond to them. Yeah, right. That's, that's crazy. But Jesus, for 40 days, made many appearances, the apostle Paul tells the Corinthians, so that the apostles, the disciples, Peter, James, John, uh, all of them, they could say, no, this is something you can go and ask other people. Lots of people saw that he had been resurrected from the dead, not just us. So for those 40 days, he's making many appearances, and he tells them, I, I want you to meet me here on this hill outside of Jerusalem, and then he ascends back into heaven. And Matthew's gospel records for us as his capstone, as the last thing that he wants us to know, this great commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey. He, he says, go, uh, leave where you are or as you are going. Right? So in the communication of the gospel, as people are being added to the number of disciples. Some of us will have to leave where we are and some of us will have to do this as we are going about life. And in one person in Acts, we see both things happening. Philip, known as Philip the evangelist, not because he was an evangelist necessarily, but because he just did evangelizing. Isn't it funny how you get nicknames for things that you actually do? That would be a goal for us in 2020. I'd be like uh, Curtis who reads his Bible or Curtis who prays or Curtis who evangelizes or Curtis who goes on mission trips, right? So he's Philip and then he evangelized. So he's Philip the evangelist. 
he did this as he was going. God spoke to him at one point early in Acts, and he says, I want you to go and stand at this specific intersection. And historians tell us that at that point, that intersection had been bypassed. It wasn't even a main road anymore. But God said to do it, and so he went and stood there, and pretty soon a, 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 a person from the Ethiopian royal court comes by in a chariot, and Philip is able to meet him, explain the gospel to him, and that man, like just as Jesus instructed, is baptized right there and becomes a follower of Jesus. But Philip also left where he was. He was in Jerusalem in the beginning days of the church, but he is the one who takes the gospel to their northern neighbors, the Samaritans. And God is going to ask us to do both. As a church family, us personally, some of us are going to leave the place that we are now, and we're going to go and make disciples. Some of us are going to do it as we are going to work and as we are going to our kids' things and as we are going about in our neighborhood on walks and taking the dog out and all of those things. It's both. Go, make disciples. Add to our number. Remember, Matthew points out that it's the 11. Now, there may have been more people there, but he wants us to know that the 11 are there. Now, imagine if they had received Jesus' instructions go and make disciples, but they didn't go. They just stayed there. Now, who wants to be baptized today? Peter, it's your turn to be baptized again for the 300th time. James, I think it's your turn. What if they just lived right there on that mountain? But they didn't. They followed Jesus' instructions and they left that place. And more people were added to their number. More and more disciples became followers of Christ. They believe in the life, the death, the resurrection, and the return of Christ. Go and make disciples of all nations. So not just people that looked like them. Not just people that went to their schools. Not just people that voted like them. Not just people who were of their same economic level. Uh, of all nations. Baptizing them. Bible scholars believe that baptism in the form that we know it came first as a seed planted in the Old Testament book of Exodus when God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt and he's delivering them to a land of promise. In the middle was the Red Sea. They have the sea in front of them and Pharaoh's army behind them and God split the Red Sea. And so John the Baptist, among others, takes up this calling. God is doing a new work. And when God is doing a new work, when God is saving and rescuing, there's a passing through of water. And so John the Baptist has a ministry of baptism. Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist early in the Gospels. And then Jesus and his disciples begin baptizing other people. And now Jesus is handing this instruction to his disciples. Go and baptize more people. Right. Teaching them to obey. Remember, Jesus is teacher and Lord. So he teaches us so that we will obey him as Lord. He, he told his disciples in the gospel of John, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. It's a, it's a good corrective to any of us today who would say, no, I, I love Christ. I mean, I'm doing what I want, when I want it, how I want it. Jesus told his disciples and would tell us today, those two things don't go together. If you love me, then you will keep my commands, teaching them to obey. Now remember from school, there were pop quizzes. And so I just thought I'd give us a pop quiz. It's not for a grade, so nobody needs to get stressed out. Just a beginning of the semester assessment to see where we're at. Matthew chapter 28 says, go, uh, make disciples, make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching them to obey. So just give yourself a pop quiz right now. How many of these things are you doing right now? 
Could you say, in 2019, I played an active role in going somewhere, or as I'm going, in making disciples, and making disciples not just of people who look like me, think like me, live in my neighborhood, but people from all nations. Thank God we live in Houston. I grew up in Springfield, Missouri. There's like no nations represented there. (laughs) Here in Houston, one of the most diverse places in the world, so we don't really even have to leave to make disciples of all nations. Did you baptize anybody in 2019? Not, not, did I baptize anybody, but did you baptize anybody? If you've seen us do baptism here at Bayou City, you may have noticed it's not just pastors who do that. Because I don't think Matthew 28, Jesus says, now to all of you guys who are going to be pastors, baptize. To the people he says to make disciples, he says to baptize. Have you said a across a dinner table or a coffee table or in a living room, the lunch table at work and and help somebody understand the gospel, the instructions of Jesus so that they might obey them. Just pop quiz, not for a grade. You might think, well, hey, I'm just a regular person. That's why we hire you. I assume that's what you're doing Monday through Friday is just baptizing a bunch of people and <laughs> making disciples. I'm glad you brought that up rhetorically. <laughs> Ephesians chapter four, verse 11 says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, it's my job, teachers, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So what Paul jumped ahead of us in our conversation a couple of thousand years and said, actually, it's a pastor's job, a spiritual leader's job, an elder's job, a deacon's job, a Bible teacher's job, not to do these things in Matthew chapter 28, but to help you do these things. This commission, this great commission, our commission, my commission, your commission, it comes to regular people. And here's how I know that. Because in Matthew chapter 28, look what it says in verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee. So that's the disciples minus Judas, 11. Went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now who is doubting there? Again, as I mentioned, there may have been more than just those 11 there, but Matthew wants us to know, in our mind, when we're reading Jesus' instructions here, he wants us to see, in our thinking, the 11 disciples. And he says, some of them worshipped, some of them were all in, some of them were hands lifted up and swaying back to the song and, uh, you know, or doing this number, you know, whatever you prefer. Some of them are worshipping, but some of them are doubting. Now, who is doubting? The only people we know for sure that are there with Jesus are the 11. We assume there might be more, but Matthew is saying among the 11 disciples of Jesus, some of them are doubting. Now, what are they doubting? They're maybe doubting that this is all really happening. They're doubting that Jesus has been resurrected bodily. We don't know. He doesn't give us that information. But what he does tell us is that the commission, the great commission went to both groups of people, the worshipers and the doubters. Jesus commissioned them in the state that they were in. He didn't say, now, hey, you six 
are worshiping. So come over here with me for a private moment. This is the godly side over here. I, I can tell it by your faces. You guys go and make disciples. We're, we're talking under our breath because these five over here are losers. And I got a different commission for them and it's flames. But you guys, you're the ones. No. He commissioned the worshipers and the doubters. And what that tells me is that the great commission, the responsibility for going, making disciples, making disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching them to obey, does not come to pastors, does not come to the hyper-spiritual. It comes to the regular person. And so maybe up until this point, you have been self-exempting from this list behind me because you're just a regular person. But the goal would be for us all to wake up in 2020 to our personal responsibility of making disciples. And we know it's going to work. If you do these five or six things behind me, go, make disciples, make disciples of all nations, baptize and teach. It's going to work because of what Jesus told them right before he told them that. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He says, I've got all the power. Now go and do this. So we're guaranteed success. And it doesn't mean that every person that we talk about Christ with is going to get down on their knees and rip open their clothes Old Testament style and confess Jesus as Lord. He, he's actually prepared his disciples for what to do when people reject them. And he, and he tells them, especially in the Gospel of John, why they're rejecting them in the first place. Not because they're rejecting the disciples, but because they're actually rejecting him and his lordship. So he prepares us for what to do when people don't respond. But there is, in my reading, an assumption of success because he says all authority on earth and in heaven has been given to me. Now go and do this. I have all the power because he is Lord. Uh, we are not out there doing sales, trying to convince people to take something that they don't want. Uh, a couple of months ago, I joined Costco. Uh, and because, uh, you know, if you're going to be a person in the suburbs of Houston, you got to be a member of Costco. I, I got a letter in the mail. And so I, I went and... And so, I, you know, I just wanted the basic membership. I read about it online. I knew what they were going to offer me. Um, and so just the basic, just get me in the door. That's all I, I don't need. It, I don't need special status at the Costco. Uh, but gosh darn it, if the woman that was behind that desk was not the best salesman that has ever existed because somehow I walked away with an executive membership. <laughs> And as soon as I scanned that credit card, I regretted it. I don't need an executive membership at Costco. I barely need a regular membership at Costco. Nobody needs that much toilet paper ever in the history of their life. But she convinced me to take something that I didn't really want or need. When we take Jesus' commission seriously, us regular people, that, that's not what we're doing. We don't have to convince anybody of anything. That's not our job. 
our Lord has all authority in heaven and on earth, and he's just sent us out there to do it. And, and, and so not everybody is going to believe, but more would believe than we think would. The problem is, is we, we don't see massive growth in churches because only a handful of us are doing this. So that's why a church grows one or two people at a time or when somebody moves in or somebody gets mad at their church and they got to come. So the growth is slow, if at all, because regular people are, are not taking Jesus' words seriously. And let me let you in on a little secret. Pastors, also regular people. I'm not any better at this than you are. Now Jesus says this is going to work because I can do anything I want because I have all the power in heaven and on earth. And I want you to do this. So where should we start? Well, I think that in God's sovereignty, he let these passages of scriptures be titled the Great Commission and the Great Commandment so that us rocket scientists could put those two things together. I think a great place to start making disciples is by starting to love our neighbor as ourself. And that's what he says in Matthew chapter 22. Turn there with me. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? So what this Bible scholar, this Old Testament scholar, teacher of the law, is trying to do is to get Jesus to say, here is a commandment that is more important than the rest of the commandments. And then what this Bible teacher is going to do is he's going to bring a, aha, how can you say that? It would be like if you or I said, you know, God's love is more important than God's holiness. Or God's worth is more important than God's word. We wouldn't do that. You can't dissect God into bits and then choose your favorite bits. It's all true. And it's all good. He's loving and holy. And so this Bible scholar is trying to, get, is trying to trap Jesus. But Jesus doesn't hesitate. He says, well, actually, this is the most important. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And with all your mind, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So you see how Jesus is so creative. Uh, he, he was able to say, here's what you should do. If you're going to start somewhere, this is where you should start. But also, don't neglect the rest of it. Because all of the law, all of God's commands and instructions it hangs. It's suspended by. It is supported by. It's rooted in love for God and love for your neighbor. So he was able to thread the needle and say, oh, I'm not neglecting the rest of the law. But yes, this is what all the law flows out of. So the Ten Commandments, they, they're suspended from love for God and love for neighbor. And so when, if we're going to follow through on the Great Commission, Jesus' instruction to the disciples here he says that that law, that word, it, it hangs for, from love for God and love for neighbor. Now we'll save love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul for another time. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Do for others what 
you do or wish you could do for yourself. Now, in the new year, uh, the self-help is at an all-time high. Uh, Amazon will sell more self-help books in these last couple of days and the next couple of days than the whole year put together because we want to change. We want to be better. We want to be better employees. We want to be better salespeople. If that's what we do, we want to be... That's probably what happened to me at Costco. That lady had read a sales book (laughs) at the beginning of 2019 and she trapped me in it. We want to get better. And, And so when we think about that... Um, it, it's easy to think of that as love for self. Like, oh, just, it's all about me and, and, and improving my, my skills. And uh, there's a certain arrogance that comes along with that that the scripture wouldn't have for us. But God protects us, I think, by helping us to see from his word. When it comes to how we view ourselves, what we really want to know is, God, how do you intend that I see, think, and care for myself? It doesn't matter what uh, some book tells me or what television tells me about me. God, how do you intend that I would see myself and care for myself in 2020? And that protects us from the extreme of loving ourselves in a way that is unhealthy or or being arrogant. Our daughter Willa right now, she's four. Uh, She takes a a dance class, a little ballerina class once a week. Just she, she has only done it for a couple of months. Her older sister, Annabeth, is and has been dancing since the womb, uh, is, lives, practically lives at the dance studio. I pay rent there for her, it seems like. She's there all the time. She's very gifted, has tons of experience. But Willa, the four-year-old, is convinced that she is the better dancer. And I admire her confidence, and she will tell Annabeth, I am better than you. And at first, we were trying to interpret for her, like, oh, well, you mean that maybe you're better than she was when she was four? No, she made it clear, I am better right now. Dance off, I will win. uh, It's not good. It's not good. There's an arrogance there that I don't think God is blessing that in little Willa. Uh, Right? And, And so asking the question, God, how do you see me? And how would you intend that I see myself and care for myself keeps us from that kind of self-centeredness. Asking God, how do you see me and how should I see myself also keeps us from the other extreme, which is I hate myself. Self-loathing is not blessed by God and it does not honor him. Uh, And so when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, the message is, how God intends that you see, think, and care for yourself. Now you see and think and take care of your neighbor. Uh, thankfully, Jesus in the Gospel of Luke interpreted more for us what he means by love your neighbor as yourself through a parable. Turn to Luke chapter 10. And this is where we'll finish. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Uh, Side note, 20, 
20, if you and I could unlearn the act of justifying ourselves in front of people, we would be so much happier this year. Um, we'd have to unlearn it. We, I think we're taught it from as early as we can learn anything. How do I exaggerate myself? How do I get what I do out there so that I will get the feedback that fills me? And that's what this man was doing. He, he believed that he was doing these things. I am loving God with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. Imagine ha- having that much self-confidence. And I am loving my neighbor as myself, uh, but Jesus was not giving him any pub. Uh, so he wanted to get, take an opportunity to let other people see that he was doing these things. And so Jesus tells him this parable. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But the Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So Jesus is interpreting for us what he means when he says, love your neighbor as yourself. He tells this story. And we see this Samaritan man do two things. He sees what has happened and he stops. This is what separates him from the other men, uh, religious men. I told you pastors are regular people. You have two pastors right here in this parable. And what do they do? They pass by on the other side. They see, we know they see because they get as far away as possible from what is happening. They see it, but they stop. If we're going to love our neighbor as ourselves, I I think in 2020, we're going to follow through on that. Not just intend, not just hope, not just wish, but really follow through. One very simple thing that we can do is when we see hurt, we stop. Right now, because of social media, Facebook, Instagram, depending on your age, you probably know five people off the top of your head that you've seen updates from in the last 24 hours who are hurting. They're in the hospital. They just experienced loss. Uh, They they love somebody who has experienced loss. At least five people. But like the priest and the Levite, we're always on our way to somewhere else. So we see it and and we just keep on going. And what might make this year different is if we follow the example of a Samaritan man who saw it and stopped. So later today, when you scroll through that feed again and you see somebody is hurting, what if you just, instead of keep scrolling, what if you stop right then? And offer some kind of healing, peace, hope, word of encouragement, acknowledgement that they're there on the side of the road. I mean, our nation is hurting. And there are infinite reasons why it's hurting. And all kinds of things. And I think when God looks at all the reasons why our nation is in pain right now, he probably sees that all of the things that we would list here as the causes are true. No matter what side of the political aisle you are on. 
And what if we just saw that pain instead of saying to other people, well, that's not right. You shouldn't, that shouldn't be hurting you. Look at all that's good over here. Just ignore that. What if we just stopped and acknowledged it and said to that person in pain or that group in pain, how can I love you as I love myself? Even just imagine if all the people who claim to be followers of Jesus acted like that. How long would it take America to heal? 30 days? If just the so-called followers of Christ. But the problem is we're just always on our way to somewhere. And so we're seeing pain. We're seeing brokenness. We're seeing hurting. But we don't stop. He stops. And then he offers what he can. He can't heal this man. He doesn't have that kind of power. He's not a doctor as best we can tell. But he does have some oil. He does have some bandages. And he does have some money. And he has the ability to make the time. I'm guessing he's not out walking his dog in this parable. I bet just like the priest and the Levite, he was on his way to somewhere, but he stops and he makes the time and he offers that time to this man who was beaten on the side of the road. And he, and he even goes the extra mile giving the innkeeper money to, to keep taking care of him. We stop after we've seen and then we do what we can. Now, you don't have enough internally to fix someone else. You should resign from that ability if you have not yet. But you do have something to offer. The great commandment partnered with the great commission. I know there are a lot of type A people among us and type A people, when they have a meeting, they need to leave with an action step. If there's not an action step, all we've done is just talk about our feelings. And so if you're a type A person and you're looking for an action step today, I think just the best place to start is to pray. God, will you help me love my neighbor more? Because I, I think when we really begin to love our neighbors, not just people who look like us or literally live next to us, but anybody we're encountering, because we confess Jesus as Lord, then making disciples will come. So, God, will you help me love my neighbors as myself? And then, of those people that I love, will you help me to make disciples of all nations? Let's pray.